Um, I probably watch way too much TV. Uh, like one of my favorites was SpongeBob. Uh, we got any SpongeBob fans out there? Yeah, a few SpongeBob fans. And uh, that's probably when my brain is just like at this point in my life is just a weird mesh of like SpongeBob references and then quotes from like the Book of Romans. Like that's all my brain's got. You know what I mean on the inside. And uh, another one of my favorites um, uh, was Pokemon. Got any Pokemon fans out there? Yeah, loved loved Pokemon as a kid. Some of us still playing Pokemon, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But I remember uh, when I was a kid, um, man, we used to, you know, you go out at recess, and that was one of our favorite things to do was to play pretend. You guys remember when you used to do that as a kid? You play pretend, all types of different pretend games, you pretend to be something else. And I remember one thing that we particularly loved, me and my group of friends, we loved to play pretend, was we loved to play Power Rangers. Power Rangers, all right? Classic, classic TV show, loved it so much, and uh, I remember one time uh, we, we got into a little bit of a dispute. Uh, things got a little heated out on the playground, and we were having a huge debate amongst us, me and my two other closest friends. I'm still best friends with these guys today, but we were having a, a heated discussion over which one of us was, in fact, the Red Ranger. Now, you guys that watch Power Rangers know, like, the Red Ranger is the main guy. He's the best guy. He's the strongest Power Ranger. It's like the rest of everybody else are kind of like the sideshow compared to the Red Ranger. So we were, we were having a heated, heated discussion over this, a heated debate. I'm sure it was very philosophical. I'm sure there was a lot of points uh, that were being made on over who got to be Red Ranger. But I remember uh, coming inside, and we were still just mad. Like, we're coming in from recess. We're still mad. We're still arguing with each other, so much so that our teacher had to pull us out in the hallway, and she's like, hey, like, what, what's going on? And we're like, hey, like, only one of us is the true Red Ranger, <laughs> and it's clearly me, you know, and we're, like, so, like, mad at each other over this, and we're, like, man, like, I know it's me, like, we've been playing this game, like, we've been playing pretend, we've been pretending to be the Red Ranger, I, it's me, and I just remember my teacher looking us in the face and just being, like, guys, none of you are Power Rangers, <laughs> like, you're second graders, you're just normal kids, now, that's a low blow, you know what I mean, from a second, to tell a second grader that, but, uh, you know, I look back on that, and, and, and she was right, like, we were just out there just pretending to be something great, and we had even pretended so much so that we began to even believe that it was true, something that we knew that we weren't, we began to believe that was real, and I just wonder who amongst us, like, we're kind of doing life that way, and we're coming to church every Tuesday, every Sunday, and we're faking it. And we played pretend to be a Christian so much that we even are kind of starting to think it's true. That we're like, hey, this is it. And I think when we're doing that, like we're, we're consumed by our, our selfish pursuits. We're consumed by doing things that we think are going to make us great. So we do this thing where we come in here and we're one person on Tuesday, we're one person in our small group, we're one person on Sunday, and then we're a completely different person on the weekend, we're a completely different person when we're around a different group of our friends, and we're doing these selfish things because we're like, hey, this is what makes life great. So act like a good person, I act like I got it all put together, I put on this mask when I come in on Tuesdays, and then when I leave, when I get home, 
when I open my Instagram messenger, I'm a different person. I do my church thing, I do my weekend thing, and I can handle both. And it's kind of like, yeah, like, on one hand, like, I do want Christ. I do want Christianity. I, I do want to feel like I can talk to God and that God will bless me and that he cares about me, but I also really want money. And those things are kind of battling in my heart and my mind for which one, if I'm honest, which one I really care about more. Like, I want Jesus, but I want sexuality more. Like, I write verses on my Insta captions, but I don't write them on my heart. I just wonder if we're just playing pretend and anyone who tries to tell us otherwise, tries to call us out, try to hold us accountable, no, man, I'm, I'm the Red Ranger. I'm the Red Ranger. You can't tell me that. You don't know my life. You can't speak into my life that way. I'm doing what it takes, but at the end of the day, when we go to bed, when our head hits the pillow and we're honest with ourselves, we're consumed by our thoughts. There's nobody else there. It's just me and God alone. It's all just fake greatness. It's a fake life. It's, it's fraudulent greatness. It's acting. It's playing pretend. And I think at the core, the reason why you do these things is because you, you think, man, this is what makes life great. Like, this is what it takes to be great, is I kind of do this here, and I kind of do that there, and that's, that's what gives me the best life. That's what makes me great. And I think at our core, in this room, we all, we all want to be great, whether you realize it or not, or whether you can put it in those words or not. Every one of you guys, like, you want to be great. You want to be great at your career. You want to be able to buy whatever it is that you want, whatever your heart desires. Maybe you have this idea of, like, man, I want to have this, this Instagram airbrush, like, perfect uh, figure. I want to have this picture-perfect family, this Instagram family, you know, that people, hundreds of thousands of people will follow our journeys and our Disney vacations and things like that. Like, maybe you just, you want to be the perfect wife or the perfect husband or, or the perfect mother or father, and you want to live that American dream and have uh, 2.1 kids and a dog and a house with a picket fence. Maybe that's you. Like, that's your idea of what it means to be great. But we don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way. And what we want to do is we want God to just bless us along the way. God, here's my plan. You make it happen. And I'm going to continue to follow you, and I'm going to continue to worship you until you stop letting that come about, until you interrupt my plans, until you interrupt my journey. I'll keep coming to church as long as good things keep happening to me in my life, as long as you keep giving me things. But I'm not coming when it gets hard. I'm not coming when these things don't happen. I'm not serving. I'm not giving. Guys, in 2020, it's according to uh, Pew Research Center, millennials' number one goal in life is to get rich, and the number two goal is to be famous, which is just another way of saying, like, I want recognition for the goals that I completed in order to get rich. We believe that our life is very important. In fact, 88% of millennials believe their life is very, very important, which is up from 12% only in 1950, only 70 years ago, a few generations separated from us. We think our life is very, very important. Gen Z's, their number one dream job is YouTuber, social media influencer. Where those things used to be doctor, lawyer, teacher, firefighter, police officer, now it's YouTuber. Guys, in 2020, we have 
record high profits, record high GDP, and record high economic growth in 2020. But we also have record high numbers of hours worked, record high numbers of overtime, record high levels of anxiety, the highest levels of anxiety ever reported, ever recorded since they started tracking these things. Think about that. Our grandparents who lived in almost the day-to-day fear, day-to-day threat that they would just be wiped out by a nuclear blast without warning, that their life could end at any moment, that their entire state could be destroyed at any moment. We are more anxious than they are. My point is, is we're not getting better. For all of our technology, for all of our connectedness, for all of our wealth and our prosperity and our opportunities, we're not, we're not getting better. So my question is, at what point are we, are we going to take some ownership and we're just going to ask, what am I doing? Like, am I just pretending? Am I just faking it till I make it? Like, if I, do, I, do I believe that if I really do both these things, that's what's going to make my life great? That's what's going to make my life matter. I think tonight what Jesus wants to show you is the way to true greatness. And I think that's what he wants us to see tonight is, hey, there's only one way you can be truly great. And it's not through filling up this trophy case of accomplishments and promotions and careers and paychecks. Something much bigger, something much, much greater than that. So before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I just come to you tonight, God, and my heart is just, it's full. I feel like it's brimming over. Uh, God, with just um, love for you, God, and love for those who will hear this message, God, and that it is going to, in a way, wound them. God, for those of us that are, are coming to your word tonight, and you, you, God, you have to chip away at something deep, deep within us, something deep within me, Lord, that you have had to work out, something deep within anyone in this room, God, who would approach you right now, God, willing and with humility enough to be changed by the teaching of your word. And God, as I think about that, and I think about your word, and I think about how perfect it is, and how you put it together, God, and how it is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, God, I think about it like, I just, I just want to be out of the way. Like, God, how can, how can I teach your word? How can I do this? Because it is so full. So God, I pray for anyone tonight, Lord, who has come in here, God, in their hearts, and their minds, and their souls are heavy, and they're weary. God, and they're seeking hope and they're seeking answer, God, I pray that tonight as we try to seek a life that matters, as we try to seek greatness, that we will realize it only comes from you, God. And I pray tonight that I will step out of the way, God, and that you will step in for me. God, I cannot help anyone in this room, but you can. I cannot bring anyone from death to life in this room, but you can. I cannot set anyone free in this room, but you can. So God, we do believe in you. We believe you're the God of miracles. And you're not a God who's dead, and you're not a God who's far away, and you're not a God who's forgotten. But God, you are here with us tonight. Lord, would you give us eyes to see that and ears to hear it? Jesus, we love you. We ask this in the power of Christ's name. Amen. All right, I want you guys to flip or tap your way over to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. Mark chapter 10, 
verse 32. Mark 10, 32. So, hey, if you don't have your copy of God's Word, you're welcome to follow along, scream with us. Uh, you can also just straight up Google it um, if you want to, and uh, you'll be able to track along with us. But, hey, a little bit of background uh, before we jump in, because, hey, like I said, we're starting in verse 32 and in the 10th chapter of Mark. So a lot of stuff has happened before this. So, Basically, this is the point of Christ's story where he's moving to Jerusalem, and he's going to be crucified, all right? So Jerusalem is kind of where everything starts to come to a culmination, and that's when we start to think about, like, this is where the stuff in the Passion Week happened, like Palm Sunday, entering, Jesus being betrayed, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all that stuff. Like, they are now in the part of the story where they are moving, they're walking to Jerusalem. So right before all that stuff kicks off, they are moving there. And Jesus, at this point, has been traveling all around Israel with the disciples. He's been calling people to follow him. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching people and instructing them, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He's already given the Sermon on the Mount. Like, all of those things are happening. So at this point, like, straight up, there's just a lot of people that are following Jesus around because they're like, yo, this guy right here raised this guy from the dead. This guy was blind, and then he spit on some dirt, rubbed it in his eyes, and now he can see. Like, they're just kind of following Jesus around because, I mean, we don't really know. Like, maybe they legitimately believe that he's the son of God. Maybe they're just looking for the next miracle. Maybe they're just like, hey, this guy keeps feeding people. Like, we'll just follow him around. Like, it's kind of like a spectacle at this point. So this is where we're going to pick up in verse 32. So here's how tonight is going to go. Is I'm going to explain um, some things that we might miss as we go along reading this text. So I'm going to pull over uh, a little bit and kind of explain some things that we might miss. And then we're going to go all the way through this text. And then we've got three really important things for us to remember and take away from this, all right? So this is how that's going to work. A little bit different than how we usually do it tonight, so you guys just track along with me as we go. So here we go, verse 32. It says this, it says, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking behind them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Why were they overwhelmed with fear? Uh, because they don't know what's about to happen. They do not know what's about to happen. See, in Jesus' time, there was a lot of guys that were out claiming that they were the Messiah. Truly, there was. There was people popping up saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's, who the prophets have talked about. And they all tried to lead these, lead these violent uh, kind of insurrections or uprisings amongst the Jewish people, trying to overthrow the Romans so that they could win uh, their independence. So there's a good chance that all these people that are following Jesus into Jerusalem, they're like, yo, strap up. Like, we're about to fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's about to go down. Like, Jesus keeps saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, I guess he means we're finally going to go in here and fight. So they're, they're a little bit fearful, and the disciples are a little bit in awe. Like, man, like, Jesus has been, like, raising people from the dead and healing people. Like, he calmed the storm. Like, who's going to kill this guy? Like, we're going to go in, and we're just going to, like, roll over these guys. We're going to take them down. So let's keep going. Let's pick back up. Second part of verse 32. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe to them everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed by the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him, but after three days... He will rise again. So straight up, right here, Jesus tells them what's going to happen. And also for all of us, Jesus right now in this passage, like he's revealing to us what true greatness looks like. 
This is the reason that Mark recorded it this way, all right? He's, he's got them juxtaposed right next to each other, all right? First, he's going to say what Jesus is going to say, and then he's going to show us this, the disciples' response. So he's saying, this is what God is telling you what true greatness looks like. It looks like servitude. It looks like when God blesses you, when God put, puts blessing in your life, it's not just for you. It's so that you can bless others. And Jesus' whole life is a picture of that. And again, the disciples' response here is generally in how, like, in humanity, like, we respond to God when God tells us to do things. Like, picture this. Like, they're, they're walking up to Jerusalem. Jesus has already told them several times that this is what's going to happen. That when they go there, that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be whipped, and ultimately that he's going to die and he is going to rise again. He's told them this several, several times, and it says that they're walking along, and he's like, hey, like, I, guys, I'm the culmination of all of the prophets. Like, I'm going to make everything new again. Like, I have dominion over nature. I have dominion over sickness. I have dominion over everything. I am the son of God, the one that your people have been waiting for. And he's telling them all this, and James and John are like, all right, now's the time. Now's the time to ask him. John, you ask him first. No, you ask him, James. No, you ask him. All right, all right, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him. And this is, what he, this is what he says after Jesus tells him all that. He says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Jesus says, what's your request? And they replied, when you sit in your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. They're like, hey, Jesus, man, that's, that's kind of crazy, like what you're saying about all this getting beat up and mocked and spit on, and that's kind of nasty, and that's not going to feel good. And, you know, you're kind of saying that you're like God and that you're the Messiah and all this stuff's going to happen, but that's cool and all, but like which one of us is the best? Like, we just have one question. Like, which one of us is the greatest? Because that's what they mean when they say, hey, can one of us sit at your right and one of us sit at your left? Because in their culture, the right was the most important position that you could hold next to a leader, and the left was the second most important position in their culture. So in their brain, they're thinking one of two things is going to happen. Either A, we're going to go in here to Jerusalem, and we're just going to take down the Romans, and it's just going to be incredible. We're just going to bowl them over, and now we are going to be in charge. Or B, what often happened was when these insurrections and these uprisings would start to happen, whoever the main guy was that was kind of leading the charge, whenever they died for whatever reason, it was usually their family member or whoever like their second-in-command was would now like be in charge of everyone. So the disciples are kind of walking along, and they're like, man— there's a ton of people following us right now. And like Jesus is either going to do this thing or he keeps talking about dying or something like that. So one of us ought to be in charge after all of this goes down. And that, guys, why Mark, I believe, why the Holy Spirit preserved this story for us is because that is the human response whenever we try to figure out, man, what is great in life? What does it take to be great? Our first question is, man, like, Who's in charge? Because they're the greatest. Like, whoever's in charge, whoever has authority, whoever has power, like, they are the greatest. 
what God says is great and what humans says are great, are great, it's not the same thing. And it doesn't yield the same results. Let's look uh, on verse 38 right here, what Jesus said. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. We're able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John asked, they were indignant. Which basically means they were, they were very dissatisfied. They felt like they were being cheated. So Jesus called them all together and said, guys, look, you know the rulers of this world. Lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader of you among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, our first point tonight, I think that we have to realize when we're walking away from our text is this. The opposite of worshiping God is not worshiping the devil, it's worshiping ourselves. We think life is really about us. The disciples, the whole time that they're following Jesus, they think it's really about them. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, I'm going to be betrayed, but I'm going to rise again. And they're like, man, but what about me? What about us? Jesus is trying to teach you, hey, it's all about serving me. I'm the only one worth serving. And when you serve me, you have served my people. When you serve the least of these, you have served me. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, but like, which one of us is the best? Which one of us is the greatest? What about me? Guys, LYA, when we drive down the street, what are our thoughts? My job, my career, my house, my car, my grades, my unit, my what am I doing next? Me, 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 me. God, what are you doing about my life? We think life's about us, so our prayers turned really me-focused and not God-focused. Guys, hear me. I mean this in the most loving way possible because I went through this. And you need to know this. God doesn't owe you anything because he's already given you everything. God doesn't owe you anything because he's already given you everything through dying in your place, through recreating a connection, a chance for you to be reconnected back to God. And if we're not careful, our hearts, they slowly grow bitter to God because, God, why aren't you opening this door? God, why aren't you answering my questions? God, where are you at? And if we get in this mindset that Jesus owes us something because we're showing up and doing this religious thing. I'm coming to church on Sunday. I'm coming to church on Tuesday. God, you got to answer these prayers in my life. you got to make these things happen in my life or I'm going to stop coming. Make it seem like God owes us something. Like God's there to serve us. Not that we're here to serve 
him, Jesus has already given us a way for salvation. And here's where I think the root is. Like, this is all of our problem with Christianity. This is every single person here, our problem with the Christian faith. We don't like that God's in charge. Because we want to be in charge. We would just, we would think it, honestly, in our heart of hearts, we think it would be better if we were in charge, if we could call all the shots, if we knew all of the answers, if there's nothing that we couldn't do. That's why Jesus said, hey, do you think you can bear the cup that I have? It's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. Because he knows they can't. He knows none of the 12 can bear the cup that he has to bear. They can't do it. And the way we do that is when we try to replace God with our own goals and our own strengths, we try to replace God's throne with our own. We try to just move God out of the way and then move ourselves in his spot. And our souls cannot bear that cup. We cannot handle the weight of glory. We cannot handle what it is, what it means to be God. That's why we're so stressed. That's why we feel like we're crushed. We cannot hold it. Because life, guys, listen, it's not about us. Like 88% of you, you think it's all about you. And the other 12% are probably lying a little bit. But that's a tough pill to swallow. Like, literally, think about this, guys. There are billions, billions and billions and billions of people on the earth right now. Not to mention an innumerable amount of people who have come before us. And an innumerable amount of people who will come after us. Like, the whole world can't revolve around us. And the story, your story... It's really not, it's not about you. It's about Jesus, and it's always been about Jesus, guys. When I lived in Louisville, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for one year, and I had a friend named FIFA. Um, I know a lot of my friends have kind of weird names from when I tell you guys a story, and I honestly don't know why, but this guy's name was FIFA. Um, And FIFA came to me and my friends one day, and he said, guys, I'm in a movie. Like, that's where, like, we've been like, is that where you've been? Because, like, he'd been missing class. We hadn't been seen around campus. And he's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a movie now, and it's, it's coming out uh, in a few months. You guys want to go see it with me. It's called Trouble with the Curve. Anybody remember that movie, Trouble with the Curve? All right, starring Clint Eastwood, Justin Timberlake, Amy Adams, and apparently my friend FIFA as well. He's like, yeah, I'm in this movie. So it comes out. We all uh, get in. It's like eight of us, and we go to the movie theater, and we've got our snacks, and we're sitting there, and, like, FIFA's, like, brimming with, like, excitement. And he's like, guys, like, I can't wait for you guys to see it. Like, I had so much fun acting in this movie. It was great. It was incredible. So we're sitting there, and we're watching the movie, and we're like, all right, there's Clint Eastwood, there's Justin Timberlake, there's Amy Adams, there's the rest of these people. I'm like, like, man, when's FIFA going to come on? Like, man, this movie's getting kind of intense. Like, is he going to come in and save the day at the end of the movie? All right, we're watching this, and then there's one scene that takes place at a baseball field where there is a crowd of people in the background on bleachers. And, like, for, like, literally, like, one second he's not even in focus like in the background you can barely make out like this much of fifa's head is in there and he's like that's me guys that was my part did you see it that's me that was me 
Guys, like, what if that's the way, like, we're treating God? Like, it's always been about Jesus. It's always about him rescuing and redeeming the world. And we're just in there for one tiny second. We're like, no, the movie's about me. It's not about us. And it's good news that it isn't. Because that's a cup that we cannot bear. We can't do it. But when we try to, guys, at the core of that, it's selfishness. That's what selfishness is. So our second point tonight is selfishness. It doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always look the same. One way it can look is never, selfishness is sometimes it's never doing anything. It's never doing anything. It's when we give a call to do something like, hey, we'd love for you guys to come to Discover Serve. We'd love for you guys to serve at Group Life Weekend. Hey, we'd love for you guys to come out this weekend and help us with this project or this mission work that we're doing. Like, we'd love for you guys to do that. And our first thought when you hear that, when you're sitting there in your seat, whether it's me or Pastor Grant or whatever pastor speaking to you, is what's in it for me? Like, what do I get out of this? What am I going to get out of serving? What am I going to get out of volunteering? Like, what am I going to get out of it if I give up my Saturday and come out in the cold and help you guys do this? In a job interview, be honest, the number one question, the only thing that you really care about, the only thing that you're really thinking about in that job interview is what's in it for me? How much am I going to get paid? How many days am I going to be able to take off? What am I going to be able to get out of this to build my resume? What is in it for me. Me. And when we give these calls to serve, and you're like, man, I can't remember the, the last time I did something for somebody that I didn't get anything for it. That didn't help me in any way, in any shape, any form, or any fashion. It didn't advance my career. It didn't help my business. It didn't help me with a romantic interest payout or anything like that. And I say that, and you're like, honestly, I, I, can't even, I can't even remember the last time I did that. Or if I've ever even done anything like that, and, and I come to church, and if you're honest, like, hey, I come to church, I show up, I sit down, I consume, and I go home. I don't give back in any way. I don't serve. I don't do anything. That's a form of selfishness. Like in the parable of the Good Samaritan, like the problem is, is the Levite is walking along and he sees the guy hurt on the ground, and he says, hey, what's going to happen to me if I help this guy? What's going to happen to me? And the Samaritan walks by and says, man, what's going to happen to him if I don't do anything? How many of us can say that that is our mindset? Sometimes selfishness, it looks like doing too much. It looks like being overcommitted. It's never saying no. It's when we think that we can do it all and we try to do it all. It's always trying to be available. Listen, if you try to be available all the time, you will quickly become unavailable. It's when we try to do it all. It's filling your calendar up so much so that you can go home and you can pat yourself on the back and think, man, look what I did today. Look what I did. It's never taken a day off because I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Guys, remember when we were kids and we were going to school? And they told us, hey, you can be anything. You can do anything. You set your mind to it. You can be whatever you want. You can accomplish whatever you want. If you work hard enough, you grind hard enough. 
Make the right friends, make the right relationships, do whatever you want. Guys, it's not true. Like, I know this may come as a shock to some of you guys, but, like, I'll never play in the NFL. I know. A lot of you guys are surprised by that. I get it. But I'll never do it. Like, God did not make me to do that. And, like, I'm fully convinced, like, if Derrick Henry hit me full speed, like, if I had to tackle that guy, like, it would kill me. You know what I mean? Like, I would die, like, right there. Like, I'll never play in the NFL, guys. You can't, I can't, you can't do anything. We can't do anything, but there are things that God has made us to do. But we're often not excited about that. Like, all four Gospels in the same way. Jesus is like, hey, I made you to usher in the kingdom of God by making disciples. And I made that possible by dying in your place, forgiving your sins, and I'm sending my Holy Spirit to empower you. You hear that? And we're like, boring. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm so, I've heard that a 100,000 times. Like, I'm so over it. Like, please, just give me something. Give me something. Give me something. And we're bored. Like, we're bored of the gospel because we're selfish. And we think, man, if I can just, I can do it, if I can just hustle a little bit longer, guys. And listen, no one in our culture will tell you to stop. Like, they're going to applaud you to do that. And when we get burned out and we get exhausted for that, it's because we're always trying to do it by our own strength. And we were never meant to do it by our own strength. We're always meant to lean on God's power to do that. Guys, listen, I'm convinced that burnout doesn't come from being overcommitted. It comes from being overcommitted to the wrong things. Because it's not what you were made to do. It's not the purpose that God has ascribed for his people. And we do this and we think, man, like I can make a difference. I can just change it. If I can just, if I can just jump in, if I can just have a burst of human effort, if I can just get in there, man, oh, like for 20 days, like I'm going to pray. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. I'm going to make it all 20 days in a row. And then I'm going to go back to doing what I'm doing because I can't leave my drinking buddies behind. So I'm going to kind of do that, and then I'm going to keep doing what, I, what I'm doing. If I can just jump in, I just grind a little bit longer, and then it's there. We, we get these short bursts. If I just, you know, fast for a week, I give this up, or I'm going to delete Instagram for 30 days or whatever it is, and then we come back, and it's like, ah, yeah, it doesn't really feel like anything's changed. I guess it didn't work. Man, what if it looks like this? Long, simple obedience in the same direction. Long, simple obedience in the same direction. Not 20-day bursts. Not a bunch of human effort. What if that's what it looks like? Guys, the last thing is this. Is Jesus provides true greatness through servitude. Jesus said, hey, these other people around you, they think that they're authority, they think that they're titles, they think that they're rank, they think that they're paycheck, they think that they're whatever it is is what makes them great. But it doesn't, and it's not going to be like that among you. It's not going to be like anyone who will call me Savior, anyone who will call me God. It will not be like that among you. No, if you want to be great, you have to serve others. If you want to be a leader, you got to seek to be the first follower. If you want to do something truly great with your life, serve those who are around you. If you want to do what you were made to do, start serving 
others. If you want to start living your purpose, start serving others. You have to decrease so Christ can increase in your life. You might be thinking like, God, God, I'm, I'm scared. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not talented. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not gifted. I'm not like these other people. I can't do it. Listen, Paul told the Corinthians that God's Christ's power is made perfect in your weakness. Listen to me. Jesus is not looking for superstars. He's looking for people who are willing to say, hey, long, simple obedience in the same direction. Long, simple obedience in the same direction. As, and as I'm reading this text over the past few days, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm meditating over this, and I, all I can think about is, man, you guys that are coming in here, and you guys that are listening along online, wherever it is you are, and your life every single day is just racked by anxiety. And you feel debilitated by it. And you feel like you can't go, and it's because it's like, man, like you're trying to hold like the weight of glory. You're trying to take God's place. Like you're, you're in there and you're trying to hold all this up on your own strength and it's crushing. And listen, I know like the enemy is saying, hey, take your own life. But Jesus is saying, give me your life. Give me your life. And the enemy says, it's never going to change. It's always going to be like that. Jesus is saying it's finished. I finished it. And the enemy says, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about what you can do. It's all about the things that you can do. And Jesus is saying, there's no you apart from me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're just coming off. You're just offshoots of me. Guys, our, our, our souls, they can't handle the weight of being our own God. And that's what selfishness really is. At the root of this, at the core of this conversation, that's what it is all about. Whether you're just out playing pretend, whether you're just faking it, whether whatever it is, at the core of it, is man, like, you're kind of thinking, like, man, like, I'm a little better at being God than he is. And, and when you try to take God's place, it's a cup that you cannot bear. So last week, uh, I gave you guys a, a visual representation, and it, it worked pretty well for some of you guys. So we're going to do it again. Um, so I want you guys to imagine uh, this, these cups right here. These, these are you, all right? These are all of your accomplishments right here. So this is your uh, grades that you made in school. This is your job. This is your career. This is all your titles. Um, this is all of your possessions. This is everything that you own. This is your shiny car. This is your old car, your iPhone 11, your Apple Watch, or whatever it is right here. This is everything that you hoped and dreamed to accomplish and uh, romance, marrying somebody, all that other stuff. This is it right here. All right, and this is all of your goals and aspirations for the future, for your family, for all that other stuff. All right, and this is what happens when you take all of these things and you try to make this the foundation of your life, all right? And you try to take the weight that only God can handle, the weight of glory, and you try to hold it. It crushes you. And that's how a lot of you guys feel every day. Like you feel like this, like you feel smashed and crushed and that you can't go any further and that you have this huge weight on your shoulders that she just, it's killing you. 
and you don't know if you can go any further. It's because you're trying to bear a weight that only Jesus can. You're trying to bear a cup that you can't. Man, Bob Goff has this great quote where he says, hey, you know what God does? He takes all of our accomplishments, everything that we've ever done, and he turns them into confetti. You know what confetti is? Just little shredded up pieces of paper and you throw it and it looks cool for a second and then it's gone. But these boards represent everything that God has done. His faithfulness over time, his faithfulness to us. And when we place the weight of glory on him, it can handle it. It's strong enough. It's able to sustain it. It's a cup that only he can bear, that he bore for us so that you wouldn't have to, so that you wouldn't be crushed by this. So, guys, we've been doing something over the past 20 days. Our pastor has challenged us to pray with a, with a new wind, with a new fire, with a new spirit. And we've been doing this thing called guided prayer. So this is what I want us to do. We're going to try it tonight, all right? So I want everyone to bow right now. I'm going to take you through praying Uh you know, a, a prayer tactic, essentially. Now, there's nothing magic about this, but it's just one way that we can kind of focus our minds on what we want to ask God for. So tonight, we are going to pray for eyes, ears, hearts, hands, and feet, all right? So the first thing I want you to do is I want you guys to pray for eyes to see what God is doing in our communities, Eyes to see what God is doing in your families, in your relationships, in your friendships. Eyes to see that. Just say, God, just give me eyes to see what you're doing. us to pray for ears to hear the Spirit's whisper. Would you say, Lord, just give me ears to hear when you're, when you're whispering, when you're speaking softly, speaking gently into my ears what to do, where to go, what to say. God, would you give me ears to hear you? Ears to hear. Would you pray for a heart, a heart like God's? God, would you give me a heart like yours, God? Would you, would you help me care about what you care about, God? What I hurt for what hurts you, what I love, what you love, what I care for, what you care for, Lord, would you give me a heart like yours? Lord, Lord, I want, I want hands to serve. Hands to serve. God, you've given me so much. You've given me these abilities. You've given me these things in my, my life. You've given me the capacity to do things, certain circles of influence. Lord, would you give me hands to serve those around you the way that you would have served them?
Finally, would you pray for feet, feet to carry the good news. God, your word says in Romans that beautiful are the feet of those who bring the news, the good news, God. Not beautiful for whose they are, but the message that they carry, God. We carry a beautiful message that you died in our place, that you overcame the grave, God, so that we might too. And Lord, that anyone who will call on your name will be saved. Anyone who believes that you're the Savior, that you paid for our sins will be saved. God, would you give us feet to carry that message?